Does your homeschool look just like public school at home? Yeah, mine didn't either. Well, to be honest, it kind of did at first until I reached overwhelm and burnout and realized that just didn't work. So in today's episode, I'm interviewing charter principal Julie Laure, who is also an online entrepreneur of The Bossy House, and she is going to share with us how instead of trying to replicate public school at home, you can set up simple Montessori systems so that your kids can learn independently while you work on your business. Julie's also going to share with us how she manages being a principal leading a team of teachers dealing with all of her family and their students, as well as running an online business, all as a single mom. Here's Julie's story. Welcome to the Homeschool CEO Podcast, the podcast dedicated to entrepreneurs who want to successfully homeschool their kids while running a profitable business. In this podcast, we'll reveal the truth of what it really looks like behind the scenes of an entrepreneur who homeschools and how to make it all work. If you're an entrepreneur who currently homeschools or you want to start, you are in the right place, my friend. With 16 years experience combining entrepreneurship with homeschooling, I'm your host, Jen Myers, and this is the Homeschool CEO Podcast. All right. I want to welcome you so much to today's episode. Um, Go ahead and introduce yourself. Tell our audience a little bit about you. Jen, I'm so happy to be here. I am Julie. And I blog at the Bossy House, where I create tools for women who are taking charge of it all. Love it. So, Julie, I know that we've talked a little bit online where we met, and I just have a couple of questions for you. You have a really unique perspective because not only are you a blogger, you're also a principal, correct? That's right. (laughs) So tell me a little bit about um, the school you started, um, how you got into that. So that way we can kind of, so our audience can kind of see where your perspective is coming from. Yeah. So I've been a teacher my whole career. Uh, I've worked, this is my 25th year in education. Um, And in New Orleans, we have kind of a unique setup. 100% of the schools in our district are charter schools. And I was a teacher in New Orleans in public schools and in private schools before Hurricane Katrina. But after Hurricane Katrina, the whole city really shifted the way it handles a lot of stuff, including schools. And all the schools that were failing were taken over by the state. And that was almost every school. And then one by one were farmed out to people like me or teams like mine who had a plan and wanted to take over a school to provide education for mostly poor, mostly black kids in New Orleans. So our system now is 75 schools and all of them are charter schools. And we, since Katrina, I've been helping get charter schools started. I started one right after Hurricane Katrina, which was very exciting and crazy time. Um, And then The school I'm at currently, Harriet Tubman Charter School, I've been there for 10 years now. And um, my co-founder and I started an organization called Crescent City Schools with the idea of taking over Harriet Tubman Charter School, which was a failing school, and then taking over more schools after that. So we have four schools total in our network right now. Wow. Okay. So that is fascinating because you're bringing something really different to the table for our audience because you weren't a homeschooler first. I mean, you're teaching. Yeah. So I want to talk a little bit about like what you see as the differences. So I know I've heard you say like you can't replicate traditional schooling at home because now you're where like so many of our parents are right now. They never expected to be homeschooling or even sometimes, you know, because people may listen to this episode a year from now 
And they're pulling their kids out because of bullying at Christmas time. And they're saying, my kid's never going back. And that also is very much crisis schooling where it's an immediate decision, not something that they're prepared for. So what would you say is the biggest difference? Like, why can't we replicate the traditional schooling at home? Yeah. Well, first up, I want to say that parents right now are doing heroic stuff. Every parent, whether you were homeschooling before or not, for sure, when you signed up to be a homeschooling parent, you didn't sign up to do it in isolation from everybody you knew, right? So true. So we're all in unique circumstances now. But to your point, there are so many reasons parents become homeschooling parents. And a lot of times when it's a surprise or it's sudden, um, there is an adrenaline rush of the first three weeks of like, I'm going to become my kid's full-time teacher. Seems easy. I'll get a whiteboard <laughs> and I'll get you know, they're in five lessons a day at school. Okay. I'm going to teach science, social studies, math, and English. I'm also going to do PE. We're going to do some art. And then I'm also going to become the full-time custodian and chef and disciplinarian at the house. Right. Right. And I think what all of us learn really quickly is at school, there are hundreds of people who do all those jobs. My school, we have a thousand kids, but we have 165 people who help make it all happen. Um, and it is helpful when the disciplinarian is different than the math teacher, right? It is helpful to have other voices and other perspectives and other people. There's a team kind of approach. So that's one thing is you as a parent, um, even if you weren't working from home, which many of us are, you can't really play all those roles the same way separate people can. But the major difference between home and school, and the reason we can't replicate at home what we do at school is that it's just a completely different setup. Like, when you have 30 kids, even if you're at a small school, you have 15 kids in a classroom, the child is used to waiting their turn, right? So with 30 kids in a room or even 15, your child who demands your attention every five seconds at home is happy at school to wait their turn for the teacher to come to them. And there are ways that teachers leverage authority and systems and routines that we just can't do at home. So when we give directions at school, you know, teachers give directions all the time, but we are able to couch them in so many positive and fun ways. And when we give a direction, if the majority of the kids in the room do it, it gives a cue to every other child. This is what we're all doing. Right. And there are so many transitions and directions and things that have to happen in terms of logistics in the school day, but you cannot at your kitchen table, expect your seven-year-old to wait for you, usually what happens is they're asking you for one thing. And then before you've done it, they're asking you for another thing. Oh, so true. Just that is so mentally stressful for parents at home trying to school. If you tried to give the number of directions to kids inside of a, a class, it's at home that you would give in a class setting. Oh my gosh, you'd go mad. The other thing is one-to-one -one teaching is so different and you don't need as much time to do it. So there are a lot of parents who are putting in so much time and hours and hours. And really, um, what I really believe as a school principal, my perspective is less is more at home. And I think that's probably something that all of your audience, all of your homeschooling folks really know that you don't need to do eight hours of school when you're doing it at home. So those are some of the things uh, that are really different about school uh, at home and school at school. Yes, I agree. And that is... I find so many moms who start out with any type of crisis schooling where it's, you know, they're not prepared necessarily for it. They didn't really ask for it. They're just making a decision based on either necessity or because they feel is best mm -hmm. for their kid at that point. It's just really kind of an impromptu teaching like, okay, this is what we're doing. 
but they do a lot of times fall into that trap where they're trying to replicate school at home. And I always tell my parents that is the fastest way to overwhelm and burn out. You and your kids. <laughs> yeah, we don't need to do that. Okay, so now because not only are you a principal, you're also a single mom of a little girl, correct? Yeah. So you've also become this homeschooling mom at the same time as all of this. So you're kind of over the school, you're over the parents, you're over the teachers, you're over now your own child. So what have you seen really being the difference between why being a parent is not the same thing as being a teacher? Yeah, for me personally, I'd always had fantasies that one day I would homeschool. You know, I always said, when she's reading on her own, then I can homeschool. Uh, She's an only child anyway. It's the two of us in the house. So there's just like, I thought it would be more like an episode of the Gilmore Girls, but it's really, it's not like that. There's just, (laughs) you know, when there's just two of you in a house, it's a little different. So I would say that right away, I learned that all my ideas about homeschooling were really wrong. Um, And even though she's not exactly reading yet, like, you know, she's not into chapter books or anything, she's six. There are so many other parts to homeschooling that are very difficult. And I think especially now, my job isn't to actually be her teacher. And the more that I talk to parents and try to support parents doing homeschooling, the more I see this tension between being a great parent and helping your family thrive, and then like doing all of this stuff that the school says is important. And I think all these schools are doing so many different kinds of things right now. So it's just so random, whether you're getting a lot of work or a little, or whether expecting it turned in or not. But I think no matter what, you as a parent have to decide what works for your family and what's going to help your family thrive. And I am not so worried as an educator about kids falling behind. I, I really am not worried about that. Now, if we don't go back to school in the fall, we would have to think about how we're going to do education differently for a little while. But honestly, kids, inside of a spring, the last two months of school, it is not as much direct instruction as you think. And especially if you're in a district where there's three weeks of testing, there's the last two weeks of school, which are basically celebrations and closeout, there's report card days, there's events. You are looking at four weeks of direct instruction of new material and preparation for testing. And this is the reality most of us are in in public schools. So you know, teachers deal all the time with kids who've missed four weeks of instruction. So I am not worried about kids missing new instruction. I would worry much more about kids losing the passion for learning, losing their interest, losing their focus. Those are the things I worry more about than actual content. Oh, that is so powerful because I know right now there's so many moms that just have so much pressure on them and they feel like their their kid is going to lose three grades by not teaching them for the next four weeks. And that reminds me of a story. Uh, my husband broke his back when our kids were 10, 8, 6, and 2. Oh my gosh. And we were self-employed. Like, And I had to keep the business afloat and I had these kids and my husband didn't walk for nine months. It was a horrible year. Wow. But here's what happened. And I tell people, my kids didn't really learn bookwork during that year. They learned to serve. They learned a lot about doing chores. Like they had to take over the entire household because I had didn't have any more bandwidth. But literally for nine months, we did math and reading. That is all we did. We didn't do any science. We didn't do any history, nothing. And now that my kids are adults, I can look back and that year was so precious because they mm-hmm. learned so many things that weren't in a textbook. Yeah. And I think what you just said is so powerful because you're right. They're not going to get behind in a month or two months. They're just not. And 
I think you really helped put it in perspective what the last two months of school look like for these kids. Yeah. Wow. And coming from a principal, um, ladies, like this is not somebody who just doesn't care if her kid learns or not. This is somebody who is <laughs> on the other side of this. I yeah. mean, and that holds a lot of clout. It really, really does. And we're not like a loosey goosey school either. You know, we are standards based, high quality instruction, you know, all the, the whole thing. I would uh-huh. say too, that, you know, a lot of parents really want to do what the school says because they believe that the school knows what's best for them. And from the school's perspective and having talked to so many educators, you know, we didn't get a lot of notice about this either. So what we did at our school was I said, we had two days notice really. And I said, okay, we're going to pick four weeks worth of material and it's going to be one lesson a week. So every math teacher is going to pick one standard that is a really important one that needs a lot of practice. And we're going to provide one lesson a week and then tons of opportunities for practice on that same topic or standard. And that's it. We're not giving kids a new lesson every day for parents to filter through and try to figure out where they are. If you miss one, you have to go back to the other. This is not, this is crisis learning time, right? But what's happened and what we've learned from this is that there's a level of depth that kids are able to go into when they get a lot of practice time about what they already know. And that's really valuable too. So parents who are inundated with five lessons a week and five subjects, if you can do it, if the setup is okay, if your kid's not going to get held back, if you don't have to prove that you did it all, consider picking the things you think are the most important and letting the rest go. You know, Uh, many states, just depends on your state and your kid's age. I mean, if they're trying to graduate from high school, it's different. But, you know, if you've got a third, fourth, seventh grader at home, kindergartner, like pick what you think is important. I agree with you. I think math and reading skills are the most important. And then the rest should be about passion and following their interest and trying to make sure they're retaining their focus so that um, they don't lose their interest in the world in education. But if you're going to try to do like the Revolutionary War, and then you're going to try to do the Civil War, and then you're going to try to do the war between the, like, that's just so much content. You can't even provide it very well. You know, your kid's going to look that up on Google, (laughs) work on the skills first before all these ticky tacky little knowledge pieces. And then like my daughter's learning to play the ukulele. I think these are really wonderful pursuits, right? I love that. No, it is. But it's teaching them how to learn. Mm -hmm. That's what I always tell parents too, you know. You don't have to be the end all be all for the teacher. Like you can give them a subject. They're going to learn so much faster on YouTube because one, they're interested in it Two, It's giving them permission to explore outside of the spoon fed curriculum as well. And they're going to retain more information. Yeah, that's right. Okay. So like we talked about earlier, so you're an entrepreneur and you're a single mom of your little girl. So how are you right now balancing all of this between being the principal over these other teachers, communicating with parents, being a parent, teaching your own child and balancing your business? Yeah, well, uh, I'm doing better now than I was three weeks ago. (laughs) Uh, So, you know, it's interesting. Um, I have a really incredible team at the school and we are still serving meals every day and we're providing education. All the teachers are providing their weekly lessons. And so there's lots of folks to help me coordinate that. We're doing a lot of meetings on Zoom and, uh, you know, that kind of thing. And every parent's getting a phone call every week. So we're doing all that kind of stuff. And I um, need about three hours a day, I have estimated, during the day to do that work. And then there's a lot of just 
the phone rings at four o'clock and you have to pick it up. But for the most part, I really need three hours of uninterrupted time or mostly uninterrupted time. So uh, I have um, I've set up a, a system at home with my daughter. She's six, not quite super independent, right? So she's not like logging onto Google Classroom and getting in the classroom and doing her work. So trying to figure out what someone of her age can do and how long they can do it for. She's a Montessori kid. So um, the pre-K through second grade of my school is a Montessori school. And I've always been a Montessori parent. And there are some really helpful lessons from Montessori that we use at the house. So in the morning between um, 10 and 1, uh, 9.30 and 12.30, you know, around that time, my daughter is doing independent work. And she has two and a half to three hours to do it in. And she has a checklist of all the available things for her to do. And in Montessori terms, they call this a work. So an activity on a tray is a work. And so there's math work for her to do. There's three or four different trays with different math activities on them. And there's two or three different language arts works. And there's a couple of geography works because we're doing some geography fun stuff together. So on our coffee table, I've got eight trays. And she has a checklist and it's got 15 or 20 different things. And every Monday we circle or highlight the available works for the week. And then she every day picks two or three that she's going to focus on. And it depends on the work. Some of them like filling out a hundreds chart takes her 15 or 20 minutes. Doing her flag work, which is drawing the state flags in her notebook is taking forever. And it's really fun to watch her go into it. She's two hours drawing flags. It's great. So all that's on the coffee table, she's in there and she has a sand timer and we flip it over for 30 minutes. And in third, every 30 minutes, she can come check in with me. Sometimes she forgets, but mostly she'll say, oh, the timer's up and she'll come check with me. And usually she kind of wants a squeeze or a little snuggle or a little chat. Sometimes she wants me to come help her. Sometimes she wants me to come give her work a signature, which is so fun. Um, so she has to work independently. All of the work that's available for her is stuff she can do without any help at all. And mostly she can check it too. So the answers, if there are any answers are available. And so I check the work and then I come back and do another half an hour's worth of my work. And if she gets a certain amount done, she can have screen time. So what I've done is I've leveraged screen time with my independent time. Um, in the beginning, I was like, if you don't bother mommy for the 30 minutes, three times, you get screen time. <laughs> so that would, that would take her to about hour and a half, two hours. And then she'd get an hour of screen time. Then we have lunch together. And that purchased me three hours of time. Over the last six weeks, it's gotten even easier. And sometimes she's gone for two hours and I don't hear from her. And she's really deeply embedded in some kind of project. And then she gets her screen time because she hasn't bothered me or she's completed two or three works. All right. That is awesome. So I can just hear my audience saying, okay, that's fantastic. How do I get my six-year-old to be an independent worker like that? Yeah. Because so many of our parents are like, mom, 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 you know, it's the so, worst. Yeah. It, it makes it challenging to run a business and mm -hmm. have kids at home. I mean, let's just, we keep it real here. It does. It yeah. makes it hard sometimes to have both. So is this something that you started when she was little, like as a toddler, as far as independent time that she worked up to that type of work? Or is that just something that's recent? How did you train her to work for that extended period of time? Yeah, um, I think it's a combination of the routines they have at school where kids get a three hour work block twice during the day. 
But of course, at school, she gets way more feedback than she does for me here um, from her peers, from her teachers and that kind of thing. We've always had activities around. So since she was born, I've always had little activities and little works for her to do. But I've never asked her in our home to be independent like this. So this was a big shift. I think any parent can do it. I think you have to set up your homeschool setup for yourself and what you need as a parent. So if you have to work eight hours, like, you know, you're either going to set something like this up or they're going to do screen time a lot, which honestly, all of us are forgiving ourselves for going back on all of our ideas about screen time, right? But I think any parent can set this up. Um, you can make activities for your child to do from stuff you have around the house. Some of mine involve the Care Bear set she has. Some involve the Trolls set. You can put those in rainbow order. You can stack them. You can sort them. Depending on the age of your child, there's so many different things you can do for works, for activity works. And then part of it is just the structure. What I found with my daughter is if I have new works every week, she's excited to dig into them. Some of them I always keep a hundreds chart because it's kind of developmentally what she's working on. And it's some of the work her school, which is my school, sent home. But I am not saying you have to do a hundreds chart every day and you have to do um, your cutting work and you have to do your math work. I am not saying that. I'm saying here's the available work. What do you want to do today? That sets up a little bit of a different vibe. If I felt like she was always avoiding the hundreds chart, which the first two weeks she did, I said, hey, let's do the hundreds chart together over lunch. So we kind of meet for each meal. And at lunchtime, she brought her hundreds chart. She can totally do this hundreds chart. It was just, I kind of wanted her to practice it. So we sat down together and just sitting next to me, she completed it without any conversation. And then the next day she did another one. So it's like, you kind of build momentum sometimes, but this isn't about grading the work. It isn't about getting it right. It's really about kids getting time for uninterrupted focus and practice of things they already know how to do. And there is a huge value to that. Now, if you have a high schooler, it's different. But if you have K through eight students at home, getting them to practice the things they already know how to do or they have learned recently is super valuable, especially right now and through the summer, honestly, if we're all going to be here for a while. So I think any parent can set it up. And I've got some ideas uh, if folks are interested in um, up on the blog, there are ideas for different kinds of activities that you can put together just with materials at home and how to set up this whole idea of a workspace for them where they're independently working. That's awesome. And we will link that blog URL in the show notes so that our audience can find that because I'm sure that was going to be one of my questions. Like how I wouldn't know, how would you set up a workspace <laughs> to make it organized so that the child can figure it out, especially when they're in that, you know, five to eight year range where yeah. they, you know, so that they can be independent because that's the age group where you can leave them alone. It's more, it they need to be occupied for long enough. And then as parents, so we don't feel guilty, you know, we feel like they're learning something and they're engaged. Yeah. And, you know, like you said, like I leveraged the screen time too, especially when my kids were little, because sometimes that's what you have to do. Yeah. And that's okay. I leverage popsicles, <laughs> screen time. I mean, us parents are doing anything we can, right? And frankly, this is what schools do. Schools give rewards and consequences based on what kids want. Kids want to wear jeans. So we make it, you get XYZ, you earn jeans on Friday, right? So like, this is the same stuff we've been doing in schools to manage kids' attention and motivation forever. So this is perfect for parents to be doing now. Um, I think if parents are interested in setting up a low-key homeschool uh, that matches, there's customized to what they need as a family and helps them set up this kind of independent activity work and also filter through all the work from school. 
I'm hosting a workshop. You can get there by going to the bossy house, the bossy forward slash homeschool. And it's a two hour live workshop that just helps parents do some short and long-term planning around setting up a system like this that gives you time as a parent to work or sleep or whatever you need to do. I think our parents will love that because it's very practical. You know, it's helping them set it up so that they can, so their business can thrive, their children can thrive, and they can keep it, do it all without losing their sanity. Yeah. Yeah. Because, and that's the way that it should be. And what was the dates for that? Um, It's going to happen Thursday, the 30th of April, and you can sign up now and get a spot and I'll remind you of when to go. And if you can't make it on the date, I'll send you the replay afterwards and all the materials. Perfect. Perfect. All right. Well, Julie, I want to thank you so much for being here today and tell our audience where they can find you on Facebook, Instagram, website, all the good stuff. Uh, Instagram and Facebook is the bossy house and uh, the bossy house.com for our website blog. Perfect. And we'll link all of that below too. Again, I want to thank you so much for being here today. And I know our audience is going to love your stuff and I can't wait for them to check you out. Thanks for having me. The work you're doing is so inspiring. I I hope to become you someday. (laughs) Oh, you will. You will. We have an entire community on Facebook of entrepreneurs that are homeschooling all across the world and they are just crushing it. Like they inspire me. They're so amazing. Wow. That was an amazing interview. I had such a great time interviewing Julie and I hope that you all go and visit her at the Bossy House and learn how you too can take charge of everything. And as you heard in the episode, Julie talked about the upcoming workshop that she has happening on April 30th on how to set up a low-key, low-stress homeschooling environment. And if you're hearing this, my friend, after April 30th, don't worry. Julie wants everybody to be able to set up a low-key homeschooling setup, so she made this available for you as a recording. So head over to our website, www.thebossyhouse.com for access to the masterclass. And as always, please reach out to me. Let me know what your biggest takeaway was today. I would love to hear from you. Hey friend, I just wanna say thank you so much for tuning in today. If you loved what you heard, please be sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and leave a review. I really appreciate it. And for more information on connecting with other homeschool CEOs just like you, be sure to check out our website at www.homeschoolceo.com. And as always, Team Homeschool CEO, you ladies inspire me. Thank you for always showing others what is possible. You guys are awesome. See you next week.